Kira, this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Kia ora, my name's Victoria and I'm an alcoholic. Morning, Victoria. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. Oh, we're repeating ourselves. My name is Victoria, I'm an alcoholic and chairperson for today's meeting. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, we open AA meetings with the Serenity Prayer and I invite you to join me. God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Excellent. Um, So this meeting also opens with the AA preamble, which goes as follows. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking, there are no dues or fees for AA membership. Uh, where are we? We are self-supporting for our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Uh, our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to, to achieve sobriety. Awesome. So um, we have... Uh, the Friday night Wellington Living Sober group in the studio today. Um, So that's pretty exciting. I think it was one of the home groups I had um, early on in my sobriety. Um, And, you know, it's always a pleasure to, you know, have different people in the studio and hear different stories. Um, So we'll just get right into it. Um, So first I'd like to ask Blue to share, please. My name is Blue. I'm an alcoholic. So I recently celebrated two years sober, which is amazing to me, actually. Um, and that was just last Wednesday. So um, it's been it's been an interesting 52 years on Earth, to be honest. But I won't go into all of them today. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I originally started drinking when I was in my... Well, I mean, I started drinking early, but I mean, really started drinking to excess when I was in my 20s because I I had come out as a lesbian when I was 19 and there was nowhere to meet other gay people except at a bar. And because um, there was, you know, no Internet. And uh, so that was the only way to meet people. And so that's where I started going. And of course, you can't go to a bar without drinking. So that's when I started drinking a lot. And I also found that it made me comfortable and funny and I mean, you know, to myself at least. And so it became a problem. And the main thing that I remember of those years is feeling so lonely. It is feeling so alone and so lonely, even in a room full of people, um, because I, I wasn't being real and I wasn't really connecting. It was just the booze. Um, but then, um, I mean, you know, years go by and, and, um, I got into a relationship and we, we, you know, we did pretty well and I didn't drink as much and I discovered other recreational substances, which also became a problem. And, um, at one point I was a paramedic and, uh, I was 
I was drinking and doing drugs at work. So, you know, I'm the paramedic on the ambulance, driving the ambulance, you know, doing things to save your life. And I was high as a kite most of the time. And um, it kind of reached a breaking point where, I mean, I don't even, I can't even tell you like an incident that happened. It just changed. And suddenly it was like, I, I can't actually go on like this. And so um, I went to my first meeting, which was terrifying and, and I had never felt so completely vulnerable before and it was transformative really. And, and then I spent, I spent the next seven years, um, being sober, but not necessarily being recovered. Um, because I, I didn't do the steps. I didn't do the things that I was supposed to do. I had a sponsor, but we just gossiped about stuff and, um, I didn't really participate. I didn't participate in my recovery. And so when I, um, when the relationship I was in ended and then I, I had ended up in another relationship and we moved to New Zealand and I was, we were sitting at a cafe in Mission Bay and she said, Hey, how about a bottle of wine to celebrate our arrival? And I was like, sure, that sounds like a good idea. And Honestly, she had no idea. She didn't have any kind of addiction or, or alcoholism or anything in her family. She had no idea what was about to happen. And um, and so that started with a glass here, a glass there, which then became a bottle here, a bottle there, which then became three bottles a night or, you know, whatever. And it just it just spiraled to the point where I was I was hawking everything I could pawning. Is that the right word for you guys? And, um, and, um, and I was like to get money because she had cut me off because I was spending so much money. And, um, and yeah, I was lying to her about everything. I, I got fired from jobs for stealing. I got, I just became completely unemployable. And I mean, and life was just falling apart around me. And she reached a point where she said, this is not going to work. Something has to change. And, um, and I kind of got kicked out of the country. She was like, you, you can't stay here. Go wherever you want, but you can't stay here. And so I ended up going back to Texas and back to my parents' house as a 51-year-old woman into my childhood bedroom back at my parents' house. It was it was really it was really humbling. And then I was it, it, I mean it was really really humbling. It was not a position that I ever thought I would find myself in. And to be completely honest, when I first got there, I was all excited because I was like, woohoo, I know how to get drugs and alcohol in Texas because that's where I, I, I was good at that. And so for the first little bit I was there, I had no intention of getting sober. And then I got to, I, I just had like another epiphany. I was sitting there and I, and I was, and I it just dawned on me that I could have all the alcohol in the world and all the drugs in the world and it would never be enough. I would use all that. And then I would want more. It would just never be enough. And that was the the switch that kind of flipped for me. And it and I thought, wait a minute, this is not the life I wanted to live. This is not how I wanted it to be. And so, yeah, so I went to the meeting. Oh, goodness, I'm going to cry. I went to the meeting and um, I, I found a meeting and I went there. And, and, you know, being from Texas and being a gay kid in Texas was a horrifying experience. And I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't get out fast enough. And then... Oh, goodness. I don't want to cry on air. My gosh. Um, and then um, so uh, to have to have all these women who were kind of the ones that I I don't know. I don't want to say looked up to, but they were the ones that I was supposed to be. Right. They were the pretty girls. They were the popular girls. They were the I mean, we're all 50 now. <laughs> but, um, you know, we were the ones that were going to be 
I mean, they were the ones that I looked up to and to have, and they were the ones that shunned me as well. And to have them embrace me and say, you know, we love you and we're here to help. Oh, it was, it was, it was really amazing. And, and that, that's when I got sober was when I finally, and when I also finally realized that the main thing in the very first part of the, 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 the book that they read, when you come into a meeting, they mention the word honesty three times. And that was something that I'd never been able to do was to be honest. And I was honest for the first time. And, um, yeah. And so I spent a couple of months in Texas getting my, getting kind of some, um, my recovery boot camp in order. And then when I came back to New Zealand, I was really afraid because I didn't really know I had kind of dabbled in meetings in, in, um, in, um, I was trying to say in Wellington, but I'm not sure actually wherever I was. And, um, I wasn't really sure what, what it was going to be like here. And I went to my first meeting was in Tawa and I walked in the meeting and everybody was just so welcoming. And, um, I met this guy who likes to do motorcycle tours around the United States and we really bonded over that. And, uh, anyway, and it's really, and it's gone nowhere but up since then. I mean, I've, I've, my, my relationship has super improved because gosh, I'm honest and I'm not throwing money out the back door while she's trying to keep us afloat. And, um, and, uh, it's just, you know, that's amazing. And then I got a job. I finally was able to get a job and I had to start over at the bottom, which is hard when you're old and <laughs> you suddenly have to start at the same level as 20 year olds. You know, it's kind of like, it's a humbling yet again experience, but it was really the best thing to happen to me because, um, I think I really needed to have a big old slice of humble pie. And, um, and I did that for a while and then I got a promotion and now I'm kind of in a, a supervisory trainer role. And then just recently I had my performance review and I got exceeds expectations, which I just, I, I mean, I, I was, it doesn't come with anything. There's not any money or a promotion or anything, but I don't care. It's just the fact that I got, that I actually got exceeds expectations that, that this is something that's happened was just amazing. We bought a house last year. So now we've got this really cool house that we're working on. And uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting how life got so good rather quickly. And then uh, about a month ago, I found a suspicious lump and my whole world just kind of fell apart all of a sudden because I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. And, um, Oh, good Lord. <laughs> and, um, so, but you know what? I, I, I called my sponsor and I was like, Hey, this is what's happened. And I'm really scared. And um, she said, you know, just pray about it and do the next right thing. So I called the doctor and I've done all the tests and, and now I'm just waiting to find out. I find out on Tuesday if it's just some benign thing or if it's something more s serious. But th at this point, you know, it doesn't really matter because whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. You know, I'm going to wake up sober. I woke up sober this morning. I'm going to go to bed sober tonight. I'm going to wake up sober tomorrow. And that's that's really the important thing. Everything else will work out. I mean, everything else will work out. There's, there's nothing that, that, that I can't, that we, me and my support system and me and my recovery and me and my God can't do as long as I stay sober. And that's the most important thing. And so that's, I mean, that's what I'll do. And then whatever happens on Tuesday is whatever happens on Tuesday and, and we'll go from there. But I'm God, I'm, I'm so I'm so excited every day to wake up and be sober and have this amazing life that I really didn't, didn't think I was going to. I really thought that I was just going to end up like overdosing or drinking myself to death or something. I didn't really know, but 
that's that's not going to be my story um, because I participate in my recovery today. I have a sponsor. I've worked the steps. I go to meetings. I, you know, I, I, I do all the things I'm supposed to do that are, that are suggested to me and, and things work out. And that's just amazing to me. Every day is amazing to me. So yeah. Thanks. Thanks you guys for letting me be here. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, Anyone listening, you are, uh, listening to the Wellington Access uh, Wellington Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air, uh, and we're broadcasting on Wellington Access Radio. That's one hundred six point one FM. Um, if you are listening um, and you either are looking for help or know someone who might be, um, if you're in New Zealand, um, I would suggest going to the um, Alcoholics Anonymous New Zealand website. Um, there is a phone number there, an 0800 number, um, that is manned by sober alcoholics 24-7. Um, so if you call the 0800 number, um, you'll get someone on the other end of the line any time of the day or night. Um, if you are overseas, um, then I would just suggest Googling um, AA uh, in your country. Um, and hopefully there's something. Um, otherwise, you always have us. Um, and these monthly meetings on air are recorded and stored at the Wellington Access Radio website. Great. Now we've got the admin out of the way. <laughs> we will continue on with the sharing. Uh, Isabel, would you like to share? Victoria. I'm Isabel. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Isabel. Um. Yeah, I so I started drinking when I was about around 15. Um, and some people have like a gradual, you know, descent into alcoholism. You know, they'll, they'll you know, start seriously problematically drinking in their 30s or 40s. I immediately just jumped into the deep end of like, this is the best thing. This is going to be like the main part of my life. I'm in love with this. Um, and pretty much off the bat, started like drinking secretly, um, started drinking alone. And those were kind of too, not immediate, but, um, near immediate signifies to me that like, I probably shouldn't, this is, this is not going great. Like it feels great. And like, you know, this is what I, what I want to be doing, but like, I, I, I'm not going to tell, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone about this. I'm not going to tell my family or my friends or. You know, and like very early on, I was a bit less secretive about it. And, uh, you know, a few of my friends kind of, they didn't discuss it with me, but I learned later that they kind of like talked amongst themselves of like, Isabel's really into this. Like, this is a bit like, should we talk to her about it? But then I started hiding it a lot more. And then they were like, oh, I guess she's fine. Like, so this is not something we have to worry about. So, so, so we're all good. Um, but so yeah, I just pretty much kept it uh mostly just secret for the whole of my drinking. I would just you know, ninety ninety percent of my drinking would be by myself in my room with like the curtains drawn and that would kind of just be it. And I thought, you know, this makes my head like a good place to be in, you know, why why isn't everyone just drunk all the time? And, yeah, so that just kind of continued and I just thought, like, this is going to be my life. I'm just going to keep 
you know, drinking in secret, you know, until, you know, until the day I die. This is kind of it. I don't really know how I would go about stopping. And, you know, I was pretty much always, after the first couple of years anyway, I was pretty much always trying to cut back. You know, I was trying to go a little less hard. Um, I had this goal of like, I'm going to get to two weeks without drinking. Um, and I never, ever made it. I could get like maybe a week and a half sometimes. Um, but yeah, I never made my goal of like, you know, two weeks. And, you know, as time went on, you know, I, I moved out of my hometown. I went to university. Um, and that was all like, you know, fine. I was on track to graduating. I thought like, this is, this is manageable. I'm like, I'm functioning. I'm a, I'm a functioning, you know, I didn't, I didn't, um, use the word alcoholic at the time. I just thought like, I'm a functioning problem drinker and that's, I can live my life like that. This is fine. Um, but kind of in the back of my head, it was, um, you know, I knew like this is gonna, this is gonna blow up in your face. There was like, you know, some situations started happening where like, I, with people, I kind of had two ways of dealing with it with a problem, which was like either I would avoid it, I would like, I would just bounce and not deal with it at all, or I would like blow up in someone's face. And, you know, neither of those were great options. And so, you know, some stuff started happening and started to drink a little bit more, a little bit more. And I would like, you know, I would like Google what is the normal amount to drink and, you know, I'd go to my doctor and I, I didn't want to, like, lie entirely. So I would kind of, I would say, like, you know, here, here's, like, you know, like, I would say, like, half the amount I was drinking. per Like, I was drinking X amount per week and I would be, like, really lowballing it. And they'd be like, that's quite a bit. And I'd be like, ha yeah, it's fine. Um, I'm in my early 20s. This is chill. You know, university students drink. It's fine. And, um, but yeah, it reached a point where like, it wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't working anymore. It didn't make my head a good place to be, but I was still doing it. And I had this moment of like, when I was like physically in the act of drinking and I was like, I really deeply don't want to be doing this. Like, I hate this. Why am I still, you know, in the act of like, you know, swallowing and pouring another drink? And I just didn't, I just didn't want to keep doing it. But I, I still did. And that really freaked me out. And, you know, I was doing all the online quizzes of like, do I have a drinking problem? And all the online quizzes said, yes, oh my God, get help. And I was like, this, <laughs> this is fine. It's chill. I, I can keep going. Because like the, I was kind of waiting for life to get real bad. Because I knew that at some point it had to be. Like with the way I was going. I was like, sooner or later, I'm going to get, like, kicked out of university or I'm going to get fired or I'm going to get, or, like, all this bad shit is going to happen. If I manage to get, like, some good thing, it's going to get, I'm going to fuck it up. And I was kind of waiting. My plan was for a long time that I would go into AA in, like, my 30s or 40s after I really had time to properly fuck my life up. But only then. Because before then, I didn't really have any reason if I was just, if I was still quote unquote functioning, then it was, you know, fine. Um, but I just, 
you know, there were there were a bunch of things that led into, you know, coming in. One of them was like, I realized if a doctor, you know, today said like, you can't drink anymore or you'll die. Um, I still would have done it. Like I would have, it would have slowed me down, but I still would have done it. And just stuff like realizing how much, like I prioritize it over everything. I would like cancel, you know, I would, can, I would like call my, I would like text my friend and be like, oh, I can't meet up. I have something on. Sorry. And I would just stay home and drink and just stuff like that. And it was just, it was not sustainable and it was making me miserable. And I just realized through like a bunch of, you know, little things that kind of stacked up of like, I don't really want to wait to fuck everything up and then come in. I would really rather come in and get sober and get help and like change the way that I, you know, think and react to emotions and whatever. And just avoid that whole, you know, like I was fully aware of the path that I was on. I could see like these big, murky, dark shapes in the distance that I knew I was going to reach if I kept on this path. And I was like, I I, I want to get off this ride. I want to stop. I want to do something else. Um, So, you know, I came into AA not knowing very much about it at all. And I kind of like thought, if I if this doesn't work or if I don't like it, I can just always leave. Like I walked into my first meeting like, I really hope this is going to be the thing that works. I've tried a lot of other stuff. I've read all the books. I've done all the meditation apps. And nothing's worked. If, you know, I hope this works. But if it doesn't, you know, I'll, I'll just bounce like I did with everything else. Um, but, yeah, no, I came in and it just kind of – I was one of the really lucky people who, like, I came in and it kind of immediately clicked. Like, I didn't immediately start doing the stuff that was suggested. I There was, like – and there was a lot of, like, I'll, I'll do this and, like, you know, not right now but in a couple of weeks and I'll, you know, still think you're really weird for suggesting it, but I'll do it, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I, I came in um, a bit over two years ago and I haven't had a drink since, which I thought, you know, was, like, impossible. I thought that, you know, my life would just be secretly drinking you know, forever. And I remember like in one of my first meetings, someone said like, they were like six weeks sober. And I was like, oh man, six weeks. Um, Cause I, I had never been able to make it past like a week and a half. I'd never made it to that two week point. Um, and there was a while where I just kept track of like every day of like, oh, I'm this many days sober and I'm, you know. Um, but yeah, now it's kind of just turned into like, oh yeah, this is my life and I don't drink. And that's like a thing that, you know, People know about me, and I have friends who have, like, never, ever seen me drunk, um, which is great. And, like, I thought that there wouldn't be a huge amount of changes. Like, I, I thought that, like, the, my relationship with, like, my friends and family would kind of stay the same. I thought my grades would stay the same. I thought, like, my attitude would kind of stay the same. But, like, a lot of stuff has changed. Like, my relationship with my family and friends are all, like, way better. My grades improved which I didn't expect, but it turns out when you're, like, not drunkenly writing assignments, your, your grades get better. Um, I don't um, – I used to really deeply hate working. Any kind of job, I would just wake up and be like, oh, I have a shift today. I want to die. Um, didn't matter what job it is, but, like, now I can, you know, get up for work and be like, okay, it's a day. I have a job. This is chill. And my brain is, like, much – calmer and nicer and easier to live in. I used to be so stressed out and, like, depressed and, like, desperately, like, hopeless and helpless and, like, wanting something and not knowing what it was. 
And now it's just kind of, it's just chill and it's nice. And I'm like, my baseline of like, how do I feel on any given day is just like way higher than it used to be. And I don't get those like desperate feelings of like, you know, clawing like, oh God, what am I doing with my life? And like, why do I feel like this? And how can I not feel like this? And like, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because I just feel, you know, pretty good most of the time. And if I don't feel good, I know that like it'll pass because emotions are temporary, which is something I wish I had learned before. I was like in my early 20s. It seems really simple, but it turns out emotions are temporary. Holy shit, guys. Oh, I swore. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I can't stress how, how like different and how better like my life is and my head is. Um, yeah, after I got sober and after I started working the steps and after I got a sponsor and after I did all the things that got suggested. And if I had any advice to like anyone who's thinking of coming in or is new, you know, just maybe do the stuff that's suggested. Um, I think it really helped and I think it's, yeah, well, brought me here today. And yeah, it's really good to be here and it's really good to be sober. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks, thanks Isabel. Cool. Uh, if you're just tuning in, this is the Wellington um, meeting, AA meeting on air, um, and it's Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Uh, Gordon, would you like to share? Well, my name is Gordon. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> um, I've got a drinking career that probably spans about 50 years. It sounds pretty pretty heavy, but uh, I guess I got, first got drunk at the age of 12 as a rite of passage into becoming a teenager. And I swore off alcohol the next day. Unfortunately, it didn't appear to work, and here I am 50 years later uh, in AA, um, I drank steadily through college. I didn't think I drank excessively because everybody seemed to, everybody else seemed to drink more than me. And it wasn't until I started work and I found myself working in, on, a, on an oreg in the North Sea that I was working uh, rotation two weeks on, two weeks off, three weeks on, three weeks off, eventually four weeks on, four weeks off. My life changed. When I was at work, I didn't drink, but when I, when I was off, I drank. And life became one long party for about four, at least 40 years Work took me all over the world. Um, it took me to it brought me to New Zealand. I, I met up, met my first wife through a friend in, uh, I worked with on the in, on the North Sea. And I just carried on drinking. I had no care in the world. I didn't care. It was just it was just fun, fun, fun the whole time. I uh, ripped through three marriages, and then um, and I started losing jobs. But as one job closed, another one opened. And I guess when I returned to New Zealand after February of overseas travel. And working in a lot of exotic countries, surrounded by, surrounded by exotic people, drinking exotic drinks, very cheap exotic drinks. I eventually started getting into trouble with the authorities in New Zealand, and that was probably eventually that's probably the start of my rock bottom. Um, it took me a while to sober up, and uh, to, to even even that was was difficult to sober up. Then it wasn't until I, I got I was in a relationship with uh, with somebody, and she pointed out that uh, I had two daughters from my first marriage. That uh, at some point in time they miss that they may want to have a, a father that's going to walk them down the aisle. And yet the last thing he wants is a drunk father walking down the aisle. And that I took that on board. That's when I really took it on board then, that my drinking was becoming a problem. You know, other people, that's the first person that probably actually noticed how much I, I, I had a drink problem. So I walked into an AA meeting the next day, and I thought walking to an AA meeting was just a matter of, you know, you took a couple of pills, a few genuflections, you walked out the door cured, but it's not. It's a work in progress. You walk in there and there's banners on the wall saying, God this, God that. And it's like, holy smoke, what have I walked into here, you know? And you start reading the big book and it's, oh, my God, this doesn't make sense and stuff like that. But it's, as a, with AA, it's a, it's a progressive thing. You have to work at it to, for, for it to work properly. So 
as I said, I walked into an A 12 years ago. I probably didn't want to sober up, so I, I relapsed quite often. And I went to well, hit my final, my first rock bottom, which is when I got into trouble again with the authorities for a second time within a year. I thought something had to be done about this. So I, I did sober up, and I managed to stay sober for two years, and, and, and I enjoyed it. But uh, once again, I did a lot of overseas travel. was overseas at the time where, where uh, uh, English was a second language. I, did, I, I really wanted to get to an AA meeting, but uh, I, one, I, I was in the middle of nowhere, so I could, probably couldn't find a meeting. And uh, I was with a group of young people who were playing drinking games, and I just thought, well, why not? One drink won't hurt. Oh, boy, me. When you relapse, you relapse. It's like oh, you've been, your body has been counting all the drinks you haven't had to drink, and it makes up for lost time. And before you know it, you're just pounding the alcohol again. And I was at a country where it was cheap, clear, hard, strong alcohol, and I just took advantage of that. And I just carried on drinking. And for the, and I've been an alcoholic wilderness for the last five years, practically. <clears throat> I tried to sober up after three years. I got to 100 days and thought, stuff it, and I carried on drinking. I had trouble getting a decent sponsor. I mean, the problem is with, with my... My travel that I've done and life's rich tapestry of experiences I've had is experiences I've had is trying to find a sponsor who can who can deal with me, you know. But yeah, I found one. I got I got into trouble again with the authorities just over a little over just under a year ago. I found a good sponsor up in Auckland. When he shared, I thought, oh, that's a guy I need. He shared very similar stories to me. I have a sponsor up in Auckland. We talk probably once a week or something like that, which is fine for me. And as I'm working the steps again. I've got the serenity back. That didn't take long to get the serenity back. I walked into Old St. Paul's here, and uh, I was doing step three, and uh, recited the, the the serenity prayer and the and the third step prayer. And sure enough, God is waiting there for me again. You know, whether it be male, female, whatever for me was or she was, I just felt that I felt I was welcomed back. It's like where have you been? It's about time you came back. Was the feeling I got. So that's helped a lot in, in, in you know, fo- focusing my, my sobriety as a serenity I'm getting at the moment uh, from AA. It's uh, something you have to work out all the time. And uh, I go to meetings regularly, three or four meetings a week when in Wellington. And if I'm up up in Auckland two or three times a week, you know, and whenever I'm traveled, you know, there's, there are meetings all around New Zealand which you can walk into at any time. You feel, you feel relatively welcome. Some, some you, it's like, who are you? You're a stranger, but you're still, you've all got the same problem. You're still in there for a reason. And I'm enjoying the meetings. I'm enjoying being sober. I'm enjoying waking up in the morning and not feeling terrible. You know, I can get up, I can function all six cylinders in the morning and just go out and I wake up in the morning, six o'clock in the morning and, and um, you know, I feel great. I can watch the news, I can have breakfast, I can go out for a walk and I feel great. I mean, I'm, I'm working again, I'm working a rotation, but rather than when I'm sitting at work counting the days where I, ha- I can get back off and, and, and get back into town and start drinking again, I actually look forward to getting off and getting a car and driving home or driving somewhere else and, and, and being able to drive, which which is important. You know, I don't have to worry about the authorities picking me up and maybe been drinking again or whatever. You know, I just it's just good to be alive and good to be sober and good to be in AA meetings. And uh, you know, I can't stress enough the, the importance of these meetings. When I first sobered up for the first two years, I was sober. By the end of it all, I was starting to question the efficacy of, of the meetings, and, and I thought they were no good. There seemed to be a lot of self-flagellation going on in these meetings. And I thought we were just beating myself up. But when I got back into the back into AA, <clears throat> if you tie up step one with uh, chapter three in the in the big book, it, it all clicks, it all clicked out and it started to make sense. You know, everything just started to slot into place and there's actually everything just makes sense now. And then it's it's good to be here and it's good to be in the meetings and good to be sober. And I think I'd like to say to leave it at that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks, Gordon. Uh yeah. Uh, just remind you, listening to 
the Wellington Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Uh, if you've made it this far, uh, clearly you're finding it useful. So um, if you're in New Zealand and either you or someone you know is looking for help, you can go to the um, aa.org.nz website. Uh, there is um, a lot of stuff on there. There's meetings lists, so you can put it to whichever region you're in and it'll show you every meeting that's on in the week. Um, there is also the 0800 number, um, and that's accessible 24-7. Um, so you can call them any time of the day or night and you'll get a sober alcoholic on the other end of the phone. Uh, same goes for if you're overseas, um, just Google AA in your country or go to Wellington Access Radio's website um, and this and all other recordings of the meeting on air um, are available there for you to listen to. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, kia ora, I'm Victoria. I'm an alcoholic. Um, yeah, I just, you know, love, love doing the service. It feels like it's not real service. You know, I don't have to, <laughs> you know, wash cups or um, sit through people talking about, you know, different business things. Um, but, you know, like every service is important, I guess. Um, and, yeah, it, it's funny, you know, these days in meetings, I don't really talk that much about the kind of technical aspects of my drinking. I, I more think about what my life was like. Um, but, you know, with with the meeting on air, we do tend to kind of talk about what it used to be like, uh, what happened and what it's like now. So we have a bit of time, so I might just do that. Um, yeah, when I took my first drink, I'll never forget it. And that's something I learned when I got sober is normal people don't remember their first drink in great detail, you know. And it was also just very strange. I mean, you know, I come from, uh, this is what I love about the variety of people in AA is because you can't point to something in your life and say, that's why I'm an alcoholic, because you'll have 10 people who had a different experience and they're also alcoholics, but came from a really good family, like big, when I say good, I just mean very kind, very loving, you know, I was very well supported as a child and I was very happy. Um, both my grandfathers were alcoholics, but they weren't in our lives, so I didn't really see th- that kind of bad behavior, you know, um, and yet and my parents were kind of very like moderate, cool people. So, you know, I think they would have given us like a offered to us to have a sip of beer or, you know, when we were older, they would buy us drinks, you know, to try to be responsible. And yet my first drink was sneaking into the cupboard, pouring a glass of vodka and then throwing it back. And I, I hadn't seen that anywhere. And yet I that was my first drink, you know, and that, just, that tells me that I am, you know, just intrinsically an alcoholic because what the heck was that, you know? Um, and I'll always remember the feeling just it was a warm feeling that spread through my body and I felt like I could exhale for the first time ever and I thought wow I want to feel this as much as I can and that's what I did for the next five years you know just uh you know while I was at home of course I didn't drink every day because I was at you know I was at home with my parents and I had high school but um whenever I could drink I would and I also knew very early on that I was different from other people in terms of how much I needed uh I remember um, a friend would come over and our parents would give us, I think like three or four drinks each, which is each, which is like a lot for a teenage girl, you know, like, you know, we weren't, we weren't that big and we weren't that used to drinking, but I would always, always say to my friend, oh, we need to go to the 
we need to get someone older to go to the bottle store and get us vodka and we'll put it in something. And then I, without my friend, would also go to the fridge and get a couple of beers because I knew that I just I just had the feeling that I couldn't run out or that I would need more than other people. It was just I just knew that really, really like 15, 16, really early on. Um, so, yeah, I always knew my drinking was different from other people and that. It seemed to be doing something for me that it really wasn't <laughs> doing for others. Um, and, you know, by the time I moved out as soon as I could, you know, um, when I finished high school and um, I had to get my best friend to come around when my parents went home so they could help me clean out my closet because it was just full of empty bottles, you know, and I was 17 <laughs> and I was cleaning out the bottle closet, you know. So, yeah, stuff. Yeah, I've, I've, just, I've heard it here today. You know, sometimes we just take off straight away and that was definitely the case for me um and then yeah of course as soon as I left home I started drinking every day because I could but um I was trying to make my drinking acceptable so I wouldn't drink every day alone I would just go to a drinking event every single day of the week which isn't hard to do if you're at university in Otago like you know Monday night was quiz night Tuesday night was debating night Wednesday night was uh, I think it was like ladies night and then Thursday night was the first student night Friday night we can go out because it's Friday Saturday's the second student night and then Sunday I would drink by myself because I was just so ill <laughs> but um so you know when I um, I eventually was sent to it was it was an inpatient mental health like kind of place um but they did have a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center within it um and when i did get there they said did you drink every day and i said no and then i went no hold on yes i did drink every day you know and did you drink in the morning and i'd say well no but i didn't wake up until midday so does that even count you know um it was just all, all that kind of stuff you know and 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 for me what happened is that the amount of alcohol and eventually drugs that I needed to have in my system couldn't be done whilst maintaining a normal life if that makes sense like just the amount I needed outweighed the amount I could feasibly have uh while still you know going to university doing okay being sober when I was meant to be sober um it just the, the wheels just started falling off really quickly. But, you know, as I've indicated, what I find actually more interesting, and it's what I tend to share more about when I think about my drinking, is how my life was looking and how I felt, you know. And um, I was just, I felt like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, and that's a pretty common thing for alcoholics. But um, for me, it's more that I just had two lives. Um, and it wasn't just because of the drinking. I, I I know now that to live the kind of double life I was living, I needed to drink. Like I needed alcohol to make it happen, um, to make me not care as much, to make me not feel things, to make me repress stuff. Like I just, um, you know, I didn't have a relationship with some of my closest, some of the people in my family I'm closest to. Uh, not because I had directly impacted them, like kind of stealing or stuff like that. Um, it was because I was so ashamed of what I was doing and who I was. And uh, most of it wasn't being ashamed of what I did when I was drinking. It was just how I was conducting myself, you know, like I knew the right way of doing things and I, I wasn't doing it. I was so ashamed, you know. Um, I was just being a person that I really hated and trying to fit in and be normal. Um, and it was really, really painful for me. Um, so drinking for me felt very essential because it um, allowed me to continue to be this kind of golden child with a life that I hated. Um, and, and yeah, drinking just kind of smoothed over the, over the cracks. Um, 
Yeah, so, and, and yeah, I mean, like, I, I would very strategically not drink at certain times because I knew how bad I was. I knew I had no control. Uh, when I went to university and I was in a hall, I made myself not drink for the first three weeks because my thinking was I want to make friends and then once people are friends with me, then I can drink because then I don't have to worry because I already knew that when I picked up a drink, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I was like, okay, I need to get these people on my side before I show them the kind of scary side of me. Do you know what I mean? I was like, okay, then I can let my hair down and then they'll have to stick with me because they're my friends. You know, very childish thinking. But um, yeah, that's just that's just how my life was. Everything was like so strategic and um, difficult. Uh, and yeah, I just was not stoked with, like I knew what my values were and I just couldn't seem to follow them even slightly. And you know, that hurt a lot. That hurt more than any losing any boyfriend or job or flat, you know, like that was what probably hurt me the most um, from my drinking. Yeah. And the social stuff as well. Um, but anyway, I couldn't keep myself alive. I kept trying to kill myself or overdose, blah, blah, blah. And then I was kind of called into this meeting with my parents, and my psychiatrist, and he suggested I go to this place and I got there and they gave me an intake form and they said, look, you're not here for rehab. So, some of the questions might not apply to you, but you just need to fill out the form. And I lied on the form and I, I gave them half as much as what I'd been doing. And they looked at it and said, oh my God, we need to detox you right away and then we're going to get you. Seriously, they said, we need to detox you right away and then we're going to get you into the three-month program. So it took a month of like detox and just, I don't know, trying to get my head straight. And then I did this three-month intensive rehab program. Um, so that let me know. Uh, the word alcoholic wasn't used. They didn't use the 12-step model at all. However, when I got out of there, because um, I stayed in contact with most of the people I was in the program with, within like two weeks, two people had already died. Um, most of the other people had already relapsed, and the only two people that were still sober were people that had gone to meetings. So when I got the call about the second person dying, I just had this just the thought, I think it's a God thought came into my brain and it said, you need to go to a meeting, otherwise this is going to be you. Because when I came back, you know, my family was shocked that when I, and disappointed that when I came back, my behavior was worse. <laughs> and it's, it's because I was a raw nerve. It's, it's because nothing had been fixed and I didn't have the one thing that kind of numbed me out and what I th what, the one thing I thought helped me. Um, so it meant that I still had all the bad behavior and I wasn't, I w none of it was being tempered by that kind of s drunken stupor. Um, so, yeah, it sucked. I came back feeling worse, more suicidal, you know, um, but at least I was sober. Uh, but, yeah, it was just really clear to me I was going to kill myself or relapse if I didn't do something about it because I hadn't really been given any tools to be sober. Um, so the very next day I went to my first meeting. Uh, I turned up late and said, am I in the right place? And everyone laughed. And now I see why that's funny. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, I was pretty bratty at first, but I had a good hard sponsor. And also, like I said, I knew that the only, I didn't know how the heck to do this. Like my best efforts, um, even with a lot of resources, you know, my family was supportive. I had you know, we had, we had money to like pay for all these different people and treatments and stuff. All of my best efforts got me to a point where I either wanted to drink myself to death or kill myself more directly. So maybe I should listen to someone else for once. Um, and I did the steps, you know, got emotional sobriety, got a sponsor, all that stuff. And um, I mean, yeah, started sponsoring other people. Um, but yeah, for me today, the bright spot of my life is that um, 
is that other people, you know, other people, like not just working with others, which we're required to do, but I'm just so enmeshed with other people. Like just, you know, like I'm just surrounded by all these amazing different people. I get to work with people. My coworkers are great. I have a big family. I do a lot with them. I've got, I feel like I'm a really good friend now. Um, and yeah, the fellowship of AA is just, you know, they say in the book, it's a bright spot in our lives. Um, and I guess, you know, an important thing for me is I feel like I'm finally living by the values that I'd like to live by. Um, you know, at my, you know, I was never like a horrible person. I mean, at my best moments when I was drinking and using, I wanted to, I wanted to be good. I can just remember feeling like I want to be good. I want to do the right thing. I want to be a good person. And it's almost like I just couldn't figure out how to get there. <laughs> like I just, you know, and then I kind of give up and just, you know, whatever. And I was hurting a lot of people at the time. Um, but for once I'm not, I just, the, one of the best things about sobriety is I just don't feel mystified all the time. You know, I'm not just like, why do I keep doing these things? Why can't I change? Why are people like this? You know, it's like I've got more of a handle on how life works and more importantly, I guess, my place in it. Um, thank you. That program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.